All right. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. It's, it, it just seems like more and more new faces and, and people I'm having the opportunity to meet. Good job on doing some inviting out there, uh, meeting some friends and, and others, neighbors around you, and, and that's, that's good. I, I appreciate that. Um, we, we started last week, I need to dive into this, we, we started last week a series called Day of the Lord. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to understand what that means. We're, we're going to find out more uh, this week. Last week, we really only dealt with one verse. Uh, just to, to help you be a little relaxed, we're not going to deal verse by verse. Although sometimes with a sermon, you can. You could take one verse and, and really uh, deal with all the, the words and the details and in, in man some particular verses but but last week we dealt with one verse because it identified the period of time that Zephaniah this minor prophet wrote the words that we're going to be looking through and 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 understanding uh, the words that he writes down are words from God delivered to Zephaniah and he put them down on paper and, and we have these three chapters in the Old Testament if you want to go ahead if you have your Bibles it would be really good if you had your Bibles today and open there, uh, I, I wasn't able to give the guys you know, exactly what verses I was going to read because we're going to deal with the whole chapter uh, uh, 11 and only to do that I'm going to have to kind of jump around a little bit. So if you had your Bibles open to Zephaniah, that will be helpful. Or your devices. I need to remember to say it. I, I know there's Bibles on your devices and you could do that as well. So if that's helpful. Um, and, and also I encourage you to, to, to after we're done today, Hey, read through Zephaniah chapter 1 again. Read through it again. If you haven't read through it already, read through it. Uh, study through it. If you have a question, I mean, you're, let me know. Let me know. Anyway, last week we learned about that King Josiah. King Josiah was a king over Judah. Israel at this time is already gone. It's already been wiped out by Assyria because of their sinfulness. They're, they're turning against God. Now, Judah itself is, is still a kingdom. It's gone through uh, several kings. Matter of fact, the great-grandfather and grandfather to Josiah were both wicked. They brought idolatry back into uh, uh, Judah. Uh, the, the idols, the altars all came back in and, and, and brought the people, the, God's people, into uh, worshiping again false gods. God's like Molech. God's like Baal. And, and so uh, this king, Josiah, began his reign at age eight years old. Very young. Very young. What was, what's significant about Josiah, amongst all the kings of Judah, Josiah was the best. He was the best king since the time of David, since, uh, since David was king. Now, Josiah began at eight. We find out that at age 16, had to be some mentoring, had to be someone there uh, coaching Josiah in that young age. But he made a personal decision to seek after God. Not after Molech, not after Baal, not after anything false, but the one true God. He said that, that he was going to seek after God. And that was significant because a, a few years later at the age of 20, he began to go into all, all of Judah and even into Ephraim and Manasseh, that, those places in the northern kingdom, and break down the altars to the false gods. Just remove all the idolatry. Um, at age 26, 
he uh, commissioned uh, officials to, to begin to restore the temple. That place where, where God would meet with the people. And, and in the cleaning up of that temple, they found uh, the book of the law. Uh, the book of Moses, probably Deuteronomy, Leviticus, where, where actually the, the covenant was expressed. They read this book of the law to Josiah, and oh man, it broke his heart. It broke his heart, caused him to be fearful. Because he read about the covenant. The covenant said, hey, if, if you're, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. That's the covenant they enter, entered into. And if, if you obey all that I've commanded, all these laws that he heard, then, then uh, I'm going to bless you as a nation. But if you disobey, if you turn your back, if you go after other gods, I'm going to bring curses down on you. And, and matter of fact, this morning, uh, I want to I turn back to Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, 23 through 24. Here's 25. Here's, here's what I would like to do this morning. I want to read the words of Huldah, the prophetess. Because after he found this word and it was read to him, he rent his clothes and he, he said, hey, go inquire of Huldah, the prophetess of the Lord, and, and, and to hear what she has to say about what we found, about these words from God. And, and Huldah said in those verses, beginning verse 23, she, she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have, that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king, oh, I'm not going to go on to 26. But anyway, so, so she basically had bad news. What you read in that book of the law, God's going to fulfill. So she basically said, disaster is coming according to what God has written in his word. According to what God said, disaster is coming. Problems are coming. And, and right away, I want to emphasize this morning, I think this is the lesson we take away from us this morning, is that what God says, he does. Uh, God is true to his word. He is absolutely true to his word. God will follow through with all that he promises within his scriptures. Why do we want to know it? We want to know what God says. We want to know what he, he is speaking. The book of Zephaniah. When we turn to the book of Zephaniah, after that first verse, he begins to lay out the details of what, what uh, uh, Huldah had, had said. You know, hey, disaster's coming, but there's so much more to say. We're going to see that this morning. Begin to see that. There's three chapters of this, but, but uh, Zephaniah begins, or, or God through Zephaniah begins to lay out all the details of this disaster to come. So that's where we are. Matter of fact, uh, uh, to say that Zephaniah more than likely had written this book or, or these words of God after the book of the law was found by Josiah and, and this realization was made known. This word followed after. So here's what they had. Uh, Zephaniah 
uh, in, in the passage we're, we're about to read, I, I want us to look at and try to break it down as simple as I could. So there's a couple of facts that I want us to look at when it comes to God's promised judgment. A couple of facts I want us to see about concerning God's promised judgment. First of all, first of all, all we have earned, uh, all we, oh, excuse me, we have all earned God's condemning judgment. That's the first truth. We have all earned God's condemning judgment. And I, I know that we see that in the New Testament, right? Uh, Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You know, he laid that out in Romans. But in, in this passage, uh, it also makes that known. That condemning sin that began so long ago that continues to rule in this world uh, is still uh, the matter for which God is going to bring judgment upon this world. Matter of fact, in the first two verses in Zephaniah chapter 1, it, it, he speaks about world-ending judgment. Listen to what he says. He says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. Oh, God... God is creator. I mean, he is sovereign, and he is the beginning, and he is the end. The judge over all that is. And, and according to his will, what he's created, he, he could take it away. I remember the comedian so long ago told his son, he said, man, I brought you into this world. I could take you out. That, that really is something that God is able to do. I brought you into this world. I create, you're my creation, and I could take you out. Isn't it good that God is loving it is so good that God is loving. But, but here's, in, in verse 2, he actually lays a reverse order of how things were created and the things that are living. Uh, he puts it in this order that, that it's, you know, he's going to sweep away mankind. He's going to sw sweep away the beast. He's going to sweep away the birds of the air and the fish. The opposite order is how they were created. First fish, then, I mean, yeah, first fish, then birds, then beast, and then mankind. So it's interesting to see that, that absolutely, and when God wipes it all up or, or sweeps it all away, it's going to be in the reverse order as it's laid out here. And, and that's in his hands. That overall judgment. In verse 4, he speaks specifically to the people of Judah. He speaks to Judah and the city of Jerusalem. I want to start reading here uh, the following words. This again is the word of God. Coming to Zephaniah. He says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. Uh, the very names of the idolatrous priests. In, in that verse, it's really interesting uh, because he says a remnant of Baal. But, but we know already that Josiah has been acting on God's behalf to remove the idols, to remove the, uh, the altars to those foreign gods. It's interesting, he says remnant, because there's still th those who remain whose heart's still fixed on those adulterous gods, including those, those priests. So God is coming to wipe all that out. Verse 5. Those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord, and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. 
Be silent before the sovereign Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. He's speaking to to, uh, covenant people in these verses. Those that he made the promise with. Uh, I I mean, the world is living under condemnation. God's pursuit was to make a people for himself, to separate a people. And and so he chose Abraham, and this nation was going to be his people. And he outlined, this is how you live. These are the laws that you'll follow. And they couldn't do it. They, they were disobedient. Matter of fact, not only did they just fumble and bumble with the, the law, they did some of the worst. They denied the God who, who, whom they came into unity with, came under covenant with. They absolutely turned their backs against him. And, and I find it interesting what he says in verse 7 is, Hush! Be silent. And I think when it comes to God's judgment, that's exactly the action that they have. Because they were establishing this covenant, it was all uh, this covenant, and it was all laid out clearly for them. What did they have to say? What, What words could they express before God? Anything expressed would only increase their own guilt, they had no defense. Uh, could you imagine standing before God with all your sinfulness? And that's kind of the place they, you know, that it's speaking to. You have nothing to say. So be silent is what, what it, it mentions. If we carried on verses 8 through 14, I'm not going to read it all, at the t- but it goes into more details. Beginning verse 8. It goes into those he's going to wipe out. Uh, the kings and the officials. It, it goes to those who continue in that idolatry. And also those who are merchants, along with their silver. All of them are going to be affected. All of them are going to be under that judgment. In verse 13, it says, Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Verse 14. I want us to understand something. In verse 2 and 3, we saw this great devastating blow that wipes out everything. And then God speaks specifically to Jerusalem and Judah. Speaks specifically to Jerusalem. A judgment coming down upon his covenant people. Or actually, the covenant breakers. He's speaking that judgment. And so, when we think about the day of the Lord, what's it speaking of? The day of the Lord. Well, we know the day of the Lord. It's yet to come. The, the day, the final day when God brings about his judgment. But it, throughout the scriptures, there are various days of the Lord. There's another, when, when God's judgment is pronounced and brought. God's judgment is being brought against these covenant people. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Josiah, at, at the age of 39, is, is killed. His, his rule ends. And after Josiah, there is absolute trouble for any other rulers that follow after. Jo- Jehoshaphat didn't even exist very long. He was deported to Egypt. He was taken to Egypt. And then after, after that, it was like 12 years. Then the first wave of captives went into Babylon, were taken into Babylon. So it was a short time after Josiah that all these things would take place. The destruction of Jerusalem, uh, tearing down the walls, taking 
the, the, the nation of Judah, all the people of Jerusalem into captivity. God followed through with what he said, with what he promised. God followed through with what he promised. Now, Listen, I, I want to bring that to New Testament time because, again, that final day, those verses 2 and 3 is not taking place. We, we could tell, I mean, the world is still in existence. God has not turned back creation, has not wiped everything out. That final day of judgment is coming. Uh, we could even look, you know, if, if we had a book like Zephaniah, we could turn to Revelation. The book of Revelation. Now, I mean, we're always interested and intrigued by that. If you want to, Revelation chapter 16, you could see within that, you know, follow a prophecy of God pouring out seven bowls of God's wrath. If you read through there, you might see some imagery that looks, matter of fact, a lot like the plagues of Egypt. You know, water being turned to blood and, and frogs, demons like frogs coming out. And other things like that. On the seventh bowl being poured out, that's it. It's done. It's over. And, and I just can't myself even want to try to imagine what it is to face the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The truth is we deserve his wrath because of our sinfulness. Again, you know, it's stated in the New Testament, all of us have sinned. All of us are broken. All of us are, you know, we look at the world and we say all, all of its ugliness, all of its sinfulness is all around us. Man, it's a broken, ugly world. And we're, hit, we're hurt by it. We're, we're beat up by it and, and we're suffered. But the truth is, man, the existence of sinfulness is here. It's, it's, in, it's within me. And, and I deserve, I deserve God's condemnation. I deserve his judgment. And so do you. Uh, the scripture is very clear that we've all sinned. And, and that just completely identifies the broken world around us. You know what we need? Uh, we need a Savior. Yeah, someone just said his name. Yeah, we need a Savior. We need a covenant. We need a covenant. It, it, was, it was a use of a covenant that God was trying to, to bring a people to himself. We call it the Old Covenant, that Old Testament covenant that was established according to a law. Follow this and you'll be my people. But that, was, that failed, and it, it, it failed in that, the fact that it just only condemned our sinfulness. It condemned us. But man, the, the story, the message we have today in the New Testament is we have a Savior that has come, that has, how, how, how did he do it? I mean, we're all to face the wrath of God. Jesus faced the wrath of God by going to the cross on our behalf, by spilling his blood. And that blood is identified, the blood that has begun a new covenant for us. Not a covenant under the law, but a, a covenant under grace. It is all absolutely according to the, the absolute wonderful love of God. His, his, his pursuit of, of rescuing, his pursuit of bringing a people back to himself. It is by our choice to receive Christ. That's, that's the good news. Again, because God is going to be true to his word. He's going to follow through with his promises. And there's a promise in Jesus. That's the good news. There's a promise in Jesus. The second fact uh, I'd like to deal with this morning is this, that God's judgment is inevitable. 
God's judgment is inevitable, but it's also imminent. I also added that to this. It's imminent. It's going to come. Uh, again, in the verses that I've read, let me, let me point out just a couple uh, things. First of all, I'll go back. Judgment cannot be escaped. It, it cannot be avoided. You know, when, when, when we stand before God, and if we stand before God in our sinfulness, we cannot speak. We, can, we won't be able to speak. What can we say in our defense? We can't blame anybody else. We can't turn and just say, it's, it's because of this group or the way I was raised or, or, or the neighborhood I grew up in or anything. Because we have to, there is sinfulness in my life. It's all vain protests. Again, it'll only amplify our guilt. It'll only amplify our guilt if we were to even speak. Later in Zephaniah, verse 18, in, in, under the same light of, of, of coming under his, his judgment, it says there that neither silver nor gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. You know, so there's no payoffs, no offering God silver or gold. What is silver or gold to him? He created it. He created it. There is no offering any abundance. Uh, you know, the, the rich of the world will not be able to talk their way or pay their way through this. It's going to be according to God's judgment. There's, so there's no payoff. I want to go to verse 12. This is in the midst of, of speaking to those in Jerusalem and Judah. Here's what he said. And at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are, the word is complacent. I'm going I'm to punish those who are complacent. Who are those complacent? The example is this. Who are like wine left in its dregs. What does that mean? You know what floaters are? You know, those things, like coffee. I especially know it in coffee. Like my wife finishes her cup of coffee, and it's sitting there on the counter, and these are little dark spots at the bottom. You know, it's, it's those things that settle at the bottom, and that's it. They, they settle. And that's, that's the example of complacent. Even better yet, I think, is what follows in this verse. Who are they? They're people who think, uh, excuse me, who, who there it is, uh, who, who think, the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. God's not going to act. We could, we could all die, you know, hey, the word, it says it, but no. We don't believe, I mean, God, how has God acted? I've, all my life, I've not seen God act. He, I mean, he's never returned. How long, how long ago did he say that? He's going to come back. Well, he hasn't come back. God's not going to act. How many people do you know, hey, I believe in God, but they're doing nothing about it. They're like the floaters, sinking to the bottom. There, there, is, no, there is no fear of God. There, there is no fear that, that God is going to act. And, and I tell you what, there's a lot of people who go to church who, who are complacent. Man, this is what we do. This is the way we act. Their true identity isn't that fear of the Lord seeking God. And the warning goes out to all of us, man, do not be complacent. You need to understand that God is true to his word. He is going to act. He is going to act. He is going to return. And we're going to have to answer for what, how we've lived this life. And there is no answer unless you have Jesus. 
See, there is no appeasing. There is no avoiding. The only, only means that God has created that for us. He's made it available to us through Jesus. It's through his love that he sent a, a way for us to stand before him when we're deserving all his wrath and his punishment that, that Jesus is going to stand there and he's going to represent me on that day. I'm counting on that. I, I'm not going to start saying, well, God, I preached for years. Yeah, I was a good man. I can't stand on those things because I'd also have to stand with my sinfulness, my brokenness, my ugliness. I am so dependent upon Jesus and so are you. There is no other means to, by which we could not have to face that wrath of God. Now, let me talk again about this, the days of the Lord. For, for the people of Israel, and, or excuse me, Judah and, and Jerusalem, he, he pronounced it, it's coming, and it came in that captivity of Babylon. Are there other days of the Lord? Absolutely. It was on that day Jesus came. The day of our Lord, when, when Jesus was born into this world, that Savior who came into this world, and again, his whole life was that day of the Lord where he died upon the cross. I, I, when, when John the Baptist addressed those religious leaders who thought it was all wrapped up, they had it all together, he, he actually told them that the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's John the Baptist. Spoken at the very coming of Jesus. The axe is at the tree. What do you mean? That, that you can't place your confidence in, in Abraham. You can't place your confidence in your obeying the law over and over throughout the Old Testament. It's failed. You failed to comply. You failed to be in covenant with God. And so that act, what does he mean that axe is laid at the tree? It's so easy that it will be cut down. And judgment is going to come. But guess, guess the only means for them as well is Jesus. That, that true Savior has come. Someone that, that John couldn't even untie his shoes. That true Savior has come. And that's the same message for you and I today. We can't depend on anything else. Not your good works or deeds. It is Jesus. I want to, I want to be clear about that. So what about the day of the Lord? I, 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 man, we look at, even within my lifetime, there's times when people's eyes are open according to the difficulties and ugliness of this world. Remember 9-11. 9-11, there were people who all of a sudden became nervous and began to ask the question, oh, is Jesus coming back? Matter of fact, I, I got to admit, you know, there's times when I was younger and even before the time of 9-11 that I was asking the question, I wonder when Jesus is going to come. I was looking and thinking, well, when is it? You know, because we're always curious. When, can we pinpoint that time? Well, how about some other things that we've gone to where people are having their attentions caught and they're beginning to think about God. I don't know, several people I've talked to, the COVID thing, when, when COVID hit, and all the ugliness we've been through. There's some people who, who began to say, oh my goodness, is he coming back? Or even, oh my goodness, I need to get right with God. Praise God for COVID if that's the case. You won't hear me say that very often, but that's true. If there's a difficulty or trouble that you face, and it turns you around to pay attention to God, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And there are difficulties 
hurts that come, the, the, the ugly uh, a political situation that's happened in the past couple of years has it caught our attention. Also here recently, it's, it's Russia's war, you know, and which affects all of us. I mean, we feel safe and we're not having bombs thrown our way, way but it, it affects all of us. And the question is, how far are they going to go? How's this going to end? What, what's going to happen? And so I have people asking that question again. Is Jesus coming back? Can I tell you my answer since 9-11? Yes. Yes. Coming soon? Yes. Absolutely. Matter of fact, isn't that the way the church was taught from the very beginning? Hey, anticipate it. Look forward to it. Pray for it. Are you with me on that? Oh, God, quickly come. You see some of those days and you go through the hurts and ugliness, you go through cancers. Or, or even those personal things, the financial, or, or even relationship kind of things. Ugly things that happen to you. And, and then, then you all of a sudden say, man, it is going to be a good day when Jesus comes. See, there are those who are going to be ready, prepared through the blood of Christ. They're going to enter into, and they're going to be part of a banquet, a celebration. He's going to be present. He's going to be there. But there's going to be others who have made their decision early on. I don't want anything to do with God. Even the floaters, those are complacent. Just, oh, yeah, not worried about it. He's not affecting their life at all. That's, a, that's an amazing warning. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And even to the point of being anxious. So if anybody asks you, what, what do you think? Do you think Jesus is coming? What's your answer? Yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. The sooner the better. Matter of fact, I thought about this, this thought creeped in my mind. He says, well, what if Jesus comes back and I don't get to preach? It seems like a lot of wasted effort. I, I wouldn't have had to, uh, but I didn't want to show up just in case and not have anything to say to you. So I went ahead and prepared something. Guess what? Next week, I'm going to prepare just in case. But wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus came in between? Yeah. What the good, only good thing about saying that Jesus hasn't come back is this. That there are still people, and this is exactly God's reasoning. There's some people who have not had the great opportunity to repent. There's some people who haven't had the great opportunity to come to an understanding of that grace message of Jesus. Him coming, him paying the price. There is no greater love that God has shown us than except through Jesus Christ. And his patience that has us going another week or another day. Until it all ends. That patience. Don't, don't discount it. God being lazy, man. He's ready to go. And matter of fact, we have to understand that we're steady, standing on the edge, or everyone is standing on the edge of absolute destruction, absolute uh, uh, terror. When it, when we, that idea of facing God. If we're not prepared, we're right on the edge. It could happen any day in our own demise, or it could happen any day in Jesus' return. Oh, man, our message is, you know, are people preparing? His judgment is imminent. Let me just review real quick. God, God's going to follow through with all he promises. Understand that, know that that is true. God is going to follow through with all his promises. We've earned his condemnation. Uh, and and it, the place to begin is to admit that. The sinfulness is my own. It's nobody else's. And, and I'm going to repent before God. And that begins that, that, 
that, that life in Jesus, to, to live his life, to live for him. And second, his judgment is inevitable and it's imminent. Hey, don't be complacent. And my question this morning, absolutely as we end, is, is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Matter of fact, are you anxious for that time when we get to see Jesus and be seated at that table in celebration of him? We're going to celebrate the covenant that we're part of. That's what this is. We're celebrating the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ that was established through him agreeing and following through what God sent him for. That's going to the cross and, and dying upon it. It was his body. It was body that was nailed to the cross. That is what this bread represents. The, the very body of Jesus that went through the great pains of being beaten and nailed to the cross. He did that willingly. For you and I. So let's partake together as we remember Jesus and what he's done for us. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for the covenant that you provide for us. Lord, we praise you, the love that's evident that you want to be in relationship with us. We are your creation and you made it evident of your great love for us and that you sent Jesus into this world, into the ugliness and into the sinfulness, the brokenness, the absolute rejection of who you are and, and those that ignore. Lord, we, we praise you, Father, that you have our attention. It's this message of gospel. It's, this, it's the sending of your Savior into this world. Father, I praise you that we share in that. I praise you that, that in that covenant you brought us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, through the difficulties of this world, Lord, uh, we're strengthened. That we have a different purpose in life, a different uh, reason for living. Father, to be able to live for you, to, to live for the kingdom that we're a part of. We have this life right now to prepare for that. To, to, to live, love each other, to work through difficulties. And Father, to, to experience every single day. And the joy that we have, Lord has supplied absolutely for what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we pray that your spirit is working upon our hearts, changing, molding, making, and, and working on us, Lord. We praise you for your patience. We always praise you for your love. Praise you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.